know why the mother punch think they all that though. Here we go. Chefs and welcome back to yet another installment here at the Melting Pot. I'm your host Sly and I'm Cardi the Dawn. And this episode is called Back to School. Most kids are either about to start school or they just currently finished up their first week. So whether you're a younger kid joining elementary school, your older kid entering into high school, or you're a young adult about to embark on your college journey, this episode is dedicated to all of you. Full disclaimer, this conversation today is for the like-minded, meaning this convo today is not for those people who don't believe in wearing masks, washing hands, or all of the other safety protocols that have been put in place during this pandemic. It has become blatantly clear that people don't believe in these said quote-unquote guidelines. And that means that you no longer have the right to weigh in on this matter of children entering back into the schools because it's simple that y'all don't care really y'all don't y'all think y'all are invincible you think you're immune some may even say well we got it and we got over it so can others no that is the wrong mentality to have let me remind you that there are over four million deaths in the u.s and counting it shows that there's a certain level of selfishness in this country and that might explain why we are where we are and a lot of people want to you know point blame and make accusations now whose fault is it that's the question on the table who's going to step up to the plate educators hello that's my answer the sooner the government starts listening to educators the better the plan and i rest my case now we know that kids are literally the germiest people that there are in addition to kids already don't follow rules that well and you know they don't quite they know what the pandemic is they're aware of it but they don't quite know the importance of the pandemic they don't know you know certain things they don't know how to fully be precautionary and that's cool it's the, up to the parents choice to educate as much or as little to their their child but you know parents everywhere are grappling with this question whether it's safe to send their children back to school now the center for disease control and prevention also known as the cdc for short recently released guidelines emphasizing that students get back to the classrooms like no no choice whatever like they're going back to the they're going back to school basically for the sake of their own emotional well-being. But not every student, parent, or teacher is comfortable with that, as we know. Some school districts will likely continue with remote learning or some hybrid blend of an in-person and remote learning setting. And before we get further into our discussion of re-entering schools, today we have two special guests. We have Morgan and Renee, who are both uh, teachers. And we're going to, you know, ask them a couple questions, explore their minds and get their insight on how they feel about, you know, some of the topics entering their kids into the system and what's been going on in their mind these days. Okay. And um, anybody can start first. So tell us a little bit about yourself. My name is Renee. I am actually born and raised in Tennessee. I've lived in Georgia for 12 years, and this is also my 12th year of teaching. I too teach in Clayton County Public Schools, and I also have a seven-year-old who is virtually learning as I am virtually, te virtually teaching. So I'm, dual, I'm a dual head here. I'm Morgan. Um, I teach in Clayton County Public Schools, first grade, um, and I have a kindergartner that is starting his first year of school. So I definitely have been anxious um, with everything going on and trying to teach at home and make sure that he's getting what he needs as well. Got it. Um, that seems like a lot of anxiety. And as you're not the only one who faced this problem, we all over the country and all over the world have the same problem, being that school is around the corner. There is a game that we want to play just to, you know, break the ice a little bit. And it's called the good, the bad, and the funny. And in the game, we just basically want you to tell us a good thing that happened, a bad thing that happened, and a funny thing that happened to you while you was teaching. I'll go first this time. This is Renee. So 
since we started our school year um, and trying to teach them, but they've done really, really well. One bad thing that has happened is the platforms that we use are not working as they should. So trying to learn on the fly is really frustrating. And something funny, um, my son walked out of class on day one um, and was moonwalking in his room for 20 minutes. So I kind of laugh about that because sitting in front of the computer screen for six hours is not something that he does. He, he dances constantly. So he was just like, mom, I can't do it anymore. I had to come back here and dance. I said, well, go back to the computer because you're still in school. So that's my good, bad, and funny for this week. All right, I'll go ahead and go. Um, the good for this week, like Renee said, I was pleasantly surprised with my first graders. Um, that's a tough age, especially to be in front of a computer all day. And they were on task and ready to work and excited to be there every day. So that was awesome. Um, the bad, I still technically don't have my kindergartner registered for school. Um, there's been some issues with that. And then the funny, probably when one of my kids decided he was going to do a cartwheel across the screen and fell and landed flat on his back and everybody in class lost it. <laughs> I felt so bad for him because everybody laughed, but he got up laughing and cracking up about it too. So that was probably the funniest thing I've seen all week. <laughs> well, at least he had a, um, a good attitude about it. So that's a positive. Oh my gosh. Right. Well, thank you so much for telling us about your good, your bad, and your funny. Um, hope no one, nobody else does any cartwheels and hurt themselves, but hey, life happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's get into it. Um, I know being an educator can be overwhelming. So the teaching at home was probably a different experience as educators as educators, did you miss the interactions with the student? Yes, that's been, this is Renee, this, that's been one of the biggest, um, that was one of the biggest things at the end of the year too. Like, you like having that send off party, you like giving those hugs, you, you know, you, you miss that. And kids are social creatures, but so are adults. And so this social piece that we're missing, especially for your students, is really heartbreaking, especially when you're in meetings and you're talking to your students and you're learning, you know, some of the hardships, hardships they've had to face, as in, you know, losing a loved one to this virus. And you can't be there to, you know, give them that sense of, you know, I'm here for you and I'm sorry and I love you. So, yeah, that's been a really big adjustment. And I think I had an even a harder time with that. Um, just because I was out on maternity leave from January to the 1st of March. So I was at work for two weeks when all of this started and we left. So I got to spend two weeks with my kids when school got out last year before we got out. And so then going into this year, not being able to make those connections. And like Renee said, I unfortunately did have a child that lost a loved one and not being able to give her a big hug and say, it's all right, I'm here. You know, having to do that over the computer was so odd. And just not being able, because I have one little boy type in the message box, I love you in all caps. And it was just like, that trying to make that connection and it's so hard because you can't be there to give them the hugs and to give them the attention that they need. And especially being at this age group that you guys are teaching, that attention is definitely something that's very important, especially being that they're not used to losing loved ones and don't know how to cope with it. Yeah, it's definitely a rough situation. You know, I think uh, we as Americans, we hold onto this um, idea of our rights. These are my rights and I'm going to use my rights, you know, whatever, whatever, but your rights end where mine begin. And if we had taken several seats in March, the reason that we didn't know how it affected kids was because they shut down one of the biggest cesspools for this virus to spread. We shut down our schools. So, you know, kids are nasty. I don't know if y'all have ever been around children, but having a seven-year-old boy myself, they are disgusting. And, you know, I teach fourth grade. So, you know, when, we, when I would take them to the restroom, I would stand right outside the door and I would watch them, like, 
quote unquote, wash their hands. Uh, you didn't wash your hands. Yes, I did. Uh, I just watched you put soap on your hands and put your hands directly under the water. You did not wash your hands. And they just look at me like I'm crazy. I was like, that's not washing your hands. So I just imagine that just a simple scenario of them going to the restroom and not washing their hands. But then you compound it with this and then you have others that, you know, sanitizer for hand soap and it's not the same. One use of sanitizer, you have to wash your hands for it to be effective again. So, you know, the reason that we didn't know how it affected kids was because we took them out of the equation. And so now that, you know, back to school was up and talking, you know, we have people in, in leadership roles and they're saying, well, kids are resilient, they'll get over it. But we're learning that's not the case because they can suffer just as much from this virus as other people do without even having any underlying health conditions. So for us to even be talking about going back to school without realizing you know, the implications, because to me, one child is too many. And we could say this about a lot of different things, you know, school shootings, one is too many. So, you know, we're, we're in this debate, you know, I feel like I'm blessed to work for a superintendent who cares more about lives than dollars. And he's always told us that it was about data. If the data showed us that it was safe for us to return to school, then that's what we would do. But if the data doesn't show me that, we're not. We're going to be virtual. And he is stuck by that because that's where we are now. So, you know, going forward, he says, you know, in nine weeks, we're going to see what the data says. If the data says it's okay for us to return to school, then that's what we're going to do. But from what I'm seeing, the data is not going to change because we feel like we are entitled to do whatever we want to do without having any kind of empathy for anybody else. Right. And I definitely feel you on the superintendent thing, like having a child under the age of one at home and having a child under the age of two at home as well. And then not only myself, but my five-year-old going into a building with all this going on, I know that I will wash my hands and that my son's going to wash his, even though he, you know, he still struggles with that because he's five. You really have to stay on top of him. But knowing that we would be exposed to all those kids at the building that, like you said, those kids can be really nasty. And especially kindergarten, first grade, they're still picking their nose and eating it. So there's not a lot of sanitation between, you know, stuff like that in the classroom. So then, you know, knowing that, that we would be bringing that home. And I have two kids under the age of two to expose him to. And my body may be able to fight it off, but theirs wouldn't. And that was so scary to me. I was extremely glad when they made the decision for us to go back virtually because it, it, it did ease a lot of my concerns and my fears. And I'm glad that you, Renee, you spoke on, you know, the uh, school systems and that they're just rushing up to get back into the schools. And we are going to talk about that later on the show. So just keep on to that thought, okay? Don't let, don't let that go. We're, going, we're definitely going to get to that. Um... And um, you you mentioned earlier how your son did the moonwalk in class and one of the kids did a cartwheel. So I'm going to ask the question, how are the kids responding to virtual learning? And also, what is virtual learning for those of who are not aware of it? So virtual learning is basically us learning, uh, teaching and learning at home. So we're sitting in front of a laptop. We're in the view of the camera and our building administration has said make sure your cameras are on um and you know there's kind of like this well what if you know for instance i had a parent walk in the camera view and they were shirtless i don't want to see that and i've heard of other teachers because parents are working from home too where parents are you know coming in the screen and they're saying things that they would normally say in their home life but it's really not appropriate for other children to hear. So you can kind of imagine what that those words might sound like coming over a computer. Um, we have, um, you know, different applications that we use. We, we were using Google Meet to have those live classes um, with the ability to share our screen. So if we had something that we wanted them to see, they could see that. Um, 
and using a lot of Google Classroom, having, you know, Google Docs and slides and things for them to complete that way. Um, and they also have practice books at home if they pick them up. So like this, just to be honest with you, I would much rather be in the building, even though it's lovely that I can wake up at, if I, I can wake up at 730, brush my hair, brush my teeth, get me something to eat, and then sit down in front of the computer. Whereas normally I would wake up at five o'clock in the morning to get ready to go to school. So but it, it's still that sense of proximity. Like if I have a student doing something that I don't want them to do, I could go stand next to them and say, okay, Morgan, I understand blah, 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 but I need for you to stop. But when I'm in a virtual world and there's no way for me to go one-on-one -on -one with that child, like I have to blast them across the screen. I sit doing that, please. Or you're, it is constantly, you know, Mute your mic. Don't type in the chat box. Don't do this. All right, guys, I need you to sit up. Please take that cover off your head. It, it's like some of the same things, but then there's they're at home, so they feel more comfortable doing certain things. Because when I said something to Nicholas about walking, when he walked out of class, which was the dining room table, he said, I said, why would you do that? I said, if you were at school, would you walk out of your teacher's classroom? And he said, no. I said, well, that's essentially what you did. He said, but I'm at home. And so he he doesn't relate that he's at school even though he's in front of the computer. He's still at home. He's in an environment where he feels comfortable to go and do whatever he wants to. And I can't do anything about it because I'm in my own cubicle with 25 other students that I have to teach. No, it's not healthy for any of us. I can speak to the other two ladies in the room because I work with them. We don't teach sitting down. We don't sit down for six hours. So, you know, like we do have to give them frequent breaks. But what I've seen is I'm lucky enough to have somebody be in my room for the majority of the time. So if I need to get up and stand up and go walk out of the room or go get something to drink or use the restroom, I have another adult body to monitor the kids. But I have colleagues that don't have that. And so, you know, we've kind of been talking about that. You know, it's, you know, we're not allowed to leave the kids unattended because anything could happen. Even though it's virtual, kids can still do stuff and get in trouble for it. Like, having inappropriate things on the screen or typing something in the chat box that's not appropriate. And we're still responsible for that. So, but I mean, it's the same as even being in the classroom, thinking that you can keep kids at a desk, quiet and still for any amount of time, you've lost your mind. Cause it, we're not made to sit like this. Speaking on that too, um, you know, we've, it's, I know it's hard for the fourth graders and I know what it's like for my five-year-old, but seeing my six-year-old sitting in class like that, like they're bouncing all over the walls. I'm having to do the same thing Renee does all the time. Take it off the head, quit doing that, stop typing. I mean, it's the same stuff every day, 15,000 times a day. Um, but like Renee said, she's got somebody that's in her classroom a good bit. Brittany, I know, has somebody that comes into her classroom to help her. I'm one of those that I don't get anybody to come into my classroom. None of my kids are receiving services of any kind. And so if I need a break for any reason, I have to rely on our lunch breaks and our specials breaks. But then there was an issue with whether our kids were supposed to be leaving our classes to go to specials or coming back, you know, or the coach coming to us for specials. And there was a miscommunication. So half of my kids went to their specials class and logged out of my classroom. The other half were still logged into my class and logged into their specials class. So what was supposed to have been a 45 minute break for me to get up and move away from the computer and at that point nurse my seven month old because that's normally what I would do. 
I couldn't do that because I still had 12 kids out of 23 logged onto the classroom and I couldn't walk away from my screen for the risk that something would happen with one of them or something that could be said or typed or something like that. So then I ended up losing a break that I needed because there was a miscommunication. And so that caused an issue um, later on where I was extremely burnt out that day because I didn't have that time to get up and walk away. And I know you, you guys are probably not, you know, trained on this, but do you feel like it's healthy to have these school age children at a computer all day like this, being that, you know, some of them are not used to this? That's been a tough part for my kids because then the parents feel like they have to sit beside their first graders all day. They want to sit there. They want to make sure they're helping or they're over helping. Um, we had an assignment where the kids needed to work completely 100% independently. But when I told them, get off your computer, work on this and come back, none of them logged off. It's like they wanted to make sure they could still see me for that, which I was fine with because it was a writing assignment and I wanted to make sure they were actually working. But then the parents are like, they are on here forever. Ever. And then when you do send them out on break, they come in there and go, are they supposed to be away from the computer right now? And you're like, yes, they, they need a break. We all need one right now. They're stepping away for five or 10 minutes and then they need to come back. Luckily, most of ours get back on. But like in my case, I have two that are at a daycare center. So if I tell them to take a break, they end up playing and I have to sit there and try to get them or get somebody to hear me to tell them it's time to come back to the computer because they don't say anything. They just get up and go start playing. And there's not enough teachers there to monitor everybody. Now, it's been brought up in, uh, like, discussion forums and stuff, and I've been seeing, you know, little mini uh, talks on social media. And I remember one that stuck out to me. A person said younger children can be isolated in a single classroom more easily than like middle school or a high school student. And they benefit from the experience in the actual classroom. However, older children have other ways to socialize and can handle virtual learning better, even if it isn't their ideal learning medium, like their learning setting. I do kind of agree. I think it it's easier for older people, you know, just because our attention span and we know what's at stake and, you know, we just have that responsibility. Like, we know our responsibility. We know that it has to get done one way or another. And it is easier for us to focus, you know, with the question on the table being, you know, is it healthy to have kids sitting at a computer all day? Now, and when we talk about younger kids, I think that it's definitely harder because, you know, shorter attention spans, they want to play, you know, they're more immature in a way that, you know, they want to play games. And it's just, it's, it's definitely different when comparing it to older kids. Doing online classes because I had an online class and it was cool, but it's nothing like being in a classroom, especially my whole life has been in a classroom and Cartier, you know, he has a story about being in college and doing online classes. For me, I had two college semesters back to back of online courses. It was what five courses for two semesters in a row, and I barely made it. So for you to talk about four-year-olds and six-year-olds and seven-year-olds being at a computer all day, at least with me, uh, the classes was like just doing homework and turning it in and going to work and having freedom. But for being, how long are they sitting at the computers? From eight until 2.15. Yeah, see, I can, I can, I can do that. Now I will say this, they have tried to build in this new model of synchronous, asynchronous and unplugged. However, it's not really been, like we know what it is, but I think some of us fear the kids not coming back. Like for synchronous, you give them a live lesson. And then for asynchronous, they can still have their computer on and be there if you, and you're there if they need you. And then you have unplugged where you tell the kids, you now go do your work, turn off the computer, meet me back in class at 1230 or whatever time. And then we're going to wrap up. But I think some of us, especially with it being the first week, 
we're still trying to get the hang of that and make sure the kids come back. Um, the kids, I think the kids are pretty, I think they're going to be okay. And I can only speak to my fourth graders. But you know, there are going to be some that when they log off, they're not coming back. And so, depending on what time you let them go do that unplug work for whatever course it is, you know, you might not see them for the rest of the day. So, you know, we're still learning and trying to get a grasp and make sure that we are um, giving those breaks and doing what we can. But when we initially went out in, in March, they said, record a live lesson, post it through Google Classroom, be available for your students if they need you and have them turn their work in. I think that's what a lot of parents expect, expected. They didn't expect their children to have to log on at eight o'clock in the morning and continue, you know, to log out, log back in, log out, log back in, or even just be on the computer. Wow. This, this is a lot. <laughs> I didn't think of it as going to be this much, but Seems like you guys have it um under control-ish. I mean, I know it's only been week one. And I know you did say that, um you know, your superintendent is going to monitor in nine weeks and see if you got to come back to the building. But I'm going to propose this question. Will the school systems ever be the same? I don't know if life is ever going to be the same. Right. I think this is probably going to be the new normal. I mean, I know we did a deep, like the building was deep cleaned. Um... I know that there has been talk, like when we do re-enter the building, you know, initially we were on an A-B schedule where, you know, you had a group of kids that would come Monday and Tuesday, Monday and Wednesday, that was your A group, and that, and then the B group would come on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and then they were already implementing an ELBC, an extended learning beyond the classroom, um, every other Friday. Um, so they were kind of going in that, you know, virtual direction anyway. It's, Corona just kind of pushed it like times a hundred in March. And so now um, there are things that are being done in the building. Um, you know, they, they're recommending you wear your mask. They're doing temperature checks for people that come in the building. Um, I know that when we initially had said we were doing the AV schedule, they were like, parents can't walk their kids to class. You know, that's hard for someone going to kindergarten. You know, you want that kindergarten memory your child going in the classroom, seeing how they react to you leaving. Like, that's just a milestone that you, you know, as a parent, you want. And, you know, that was one thing that was kind of, you know, being talked about. Um, no more visitors in the building, like, even field trips. Like, we were limited on field trips and speakers coming into the building. So, it's, I think it's going to change a lot in the school but even just in general for well i guess that just depends on who you are as far as what it's going to do for your person i mean renee hit most of the points for our building now i know my nieces who are in south georgia um we have the problem of they went back to school they're back in the classrooms and i have a pre-k niece and a first grade niece and they're not having to wear masks i know they're cleaning more they staggered their orientation times, but my mother-in-law is extremely, extremely high risk. Um, and she sometimes helps my sister-in-law with the kids. And the fact that she's at risk and they're in a building with all these kids, 22, 23 in a classroom is intense. And the fact that, you know, that's, and that's just two hours south of us. So that, you know, there's the variation across the board in terms of what counties are doing, what counties are not doing. I'm grateful that they have made the changes for us to make things safer. Definitely, even as far as like just trying to learn and get acclimated with what seems to be the new norm. Like kids, kids need stability, especially at a young age. They need a schedule, they need consistency and it's like, uh, just like their worlds, everyone else's worlds have, you know, been flipped and turned upside down. And we're all still trying to get it together and figure things out the best way that we know how. And it's definitely a struggle, but I, hopefully we can get it together soon. Right, because that definitely is scary. And I'm glad that you, you opened up that conversation so now I could um, bring it up. A lawsuit has been filed 
to stop the governor Ron DeSantis and Education Commissioner Richard Cochran from opening schools campuses in the fall for Florida due to the um, coronavirus coronavirus cases going up. And you know, being that Florida, you know, is one of those states that is their numbers are through the roof. I don't know if you guys seen them, but they're extremely high risk. So everyone everyone wants the schools to uh to reopen but we don't they don't know if they're going to begin teaching in person face to face or uh the exploration of clothes online so being that in south georgia there are schools that are open and they're not uh facing masks should there be a penalty for you risking students lives, putting them all in one building and not making them wear masks like i said earlier i can only speak for me if something were to happen and I was a carrier and I was having face-to-face -face class and then one of my students took it home to her, like, I don't think I should be liable for that because at the end of the day, I'm not going to be able to recover from that. If something happened to one of my students or one of my students' family members because we were in person and I could be wearing, I'm going to wear my mask. I'm going to do what I need to do because the mask is not only about me, it's about you. My mask is to keep you safe too, just in case I'm a carrier because people don't know. And like, that's the biggest thing. You don't even know. You're not always, everybody doesn't have a fever. Everybody doesn't have all the, any of the symptoms that anybody has said that they've experienced. So I think it's, I mean, I understand where that is coming from, but then I also feel like as a teacher, I, I would feel attacked because could they sue me? And then, even when you think about, I just, I, I just, I don't know. I'm at a loss, like on that one, because right. I can see both. And then I've seen where districts are even having parents sign waivers. Like if, if they, some have canceled sports, but they were signing like these basically COVID death waivers. If your child participates in sports, we are not liable if anything happens to them COVID related. Right, and as a as a parent, that's a scary thought. Like there was a whole school district even to attend class. It wasn't just the sport. It was just to attend class in the building. You were having to sign these waivers, basically saying you wouldn't hold the school liable if something happened to your child. Because we all know 90% of people may or may not decide to send their kids to sick school. We see it every year. Kid comes in, tells you they don't feel good. You ask them if they told their parent. Yeah, I told them they gave me some medicine and put me on the bus anyway. So we're already sending kids to school during cold and flu season and they're not feeling good. They could have strep, they could have any number of things. But now that stuff we know is out there and that we know how to handle. We've got something that we can't handle. We can't get a grip on this. We don't know exactly what symptoms people are going to show and they're sending these kids to school and they may already know they have it and they're still going to send them anyway just because they want them out of their hair or they don't want to have to deal with them. They want to break from them. And that's the scary thought is that then somebody could come back and say, well, you left the kid in the building. You didn't monitor them for symptoms. You know, we did what we're supposed to, but it doesn't fall back on us. That's you know, down the line, that is somebody else's responsibility if the parent did send the child to school knowing that they were ill. But like Renee said, they could come back to us. I have three children and a family to provide for. I would never financially or emotionally recover if somebody tried to sue me for their child getting sick while they were in my care. You brought up, you know, whether sports teams are still going to have practices. And I recently had a conversation with some with somebody who won't name any names. And they was like, basically, they are going to still have, their school is still going to have uh, games. Now, whether people will be in the stands, you know, in the audience or whatever, that is to be determined. But there will be games, you know, still play. And the fact that you were talking earlier about um, these kids are basically signing a football waiver for COVID that, you know, they are not responsible um, if anything happens as they are playing a community sport. I think it's ridiculous. Just like if we're talking about in the professional leagues, you know, like I know they are multi-billion dollar industries and people have a lot of money riding on, you know, the NFL and the NBA and the MLB and all of that, all of that stuff. We get it, we get it. But my thing is that, you know, it blows me that people's priorities are not on the same page, that safety should be first. 
we're in a worse position when you talk about educational wise than we were when we closed down schools. So like the numbers have exploded, but y'all talking about sending kids back into buildings that, you know, kids, when we, especially when you talk about young kids, like the first thing my child did when he saw his cousin was run to her and hug her. And we've been talking about social distancing, but like you can't keep them from hugging each other. Like he's a social kid anyway. He loves on everybody. So, you know, like I had to talk to him and tell him, but when it comes to his family, he doesn't care. So that's that's exactly what was going to happen when we go back in the buildings. Oh, my friends. I want to see my friends. That's what they do. They like to work together. Well, we can't do any of that. Like if we, the county said, when we do go back in the building, be it in September, October, January, whenever it is, when the kids come back, they have to have their own bag of supplies. So they have to have their own. We, we're a community. I share stuff. But I can't do that anymore. If you don't have your pencils, I don't know what you're going to do because you can't ask for one from a friend. You can't borrow his glue. You can't use the community supplies in the art room. They have to bring their own art supplies because that's how serious this is. And especially for kids, they don't wash their hands. They're nasty. So it's different. It's very different. So I recently sat down and had a conversation with uh, a friend and my sister is also a teacher. And, you know, we were just discussing the future of schools reopening and what that actually means and how do teachers have to prepare as well as students. And we were talking about social distancing earlier. And another thing about social distancing, even people who are not teachers already have figured it out, right? that there is not enough rooms in a classroom for all students to be six feet apart. No problem. We'll just change the guidelines to three feet, some people may say. But what about all of the other classrooms around the country? They don't even have enough room to put all of the students' desks three feet apart. What about the classrooms that don't have desks and have tables where students sit in groups instead? You know, especially like when kids sit together around lunch and recess and, uh, you know, doing group work, you know, these things matter. These things are in question. These are the things that we have to figure out. In addition to who is providing these classrooms with, you know, the new quote unquote social distancing, you know, furniture and, and you know, spacing resources. Is there a budget for this? Or are schools getting, you know, increased funding, you know, to help? prevent uh, the spread of the virus if we do send kids back to an actual uh, learning facility. These are the things that, you know, we talked about. These are things that, you know, they didn't quite have all the answers to. Things that, you know, we would like to hear and things we would like to say, but no one knows the official answer. Every school will be different. Every situation is, is different. But, you know, there are people, you know, who can't personally as well. There are people, there are teachers, students who can't personally afford to buy all of the necessary supplies, being like hand sanitizer in bulk or, you know, sanitary wipes and, you know, let alone notebooks and pencils, papers, having your computer available, you know, things that we need to make this a successful academic year. And I just wanted to know, what were what, what are some of y'all thoughts about this? Like, how do y'all feel? What are some of the things that's been going on in your minds? I mean, last year I had 30, I was 30 kids deep all year. 30, that's a lot. Right now I'm sitting at 24. So I'm six, I'm six less. However, Labor Day has not hit yet. And we always get an influx after Labor Day because schools up north don't start until after Labor Day. So then we get an influx of kids after that. I'm pretty sure I will be sitting virtually at some point with 30 kids. Our cap in fourth grade is 35 and you have to have 36 in every other classroom before they will open up another room. That's a lot of bodies. Now, one way Clayton County was preventing that was the AB day where, you know, on my A day, I had 16 kids. On my B day, I had eight, but then like, I think even beyond that, like we have low incident rooms where 
they may only have seven kids, but those kids need a lot of help. There's no way to social distance with those kids. They also have compromised immune systems as well sometimes. So it's like, we have to think about what's best for these children. But even for them, virtual, how does that work? Because their parents have to be at home with them. Like there's no way around that. So it's like, you won't be able to make 100% of the people happy, but in some instances, social distancing doesn't work even in the classroom because some of those kids have to have somebody around them to help them or they're learning life skills and they, like, they have to have somebody around them at all times. So it's like, what do you do? Right, because like we had some of those low incident classes in the cafeteria with us last year and we went past them and those kids were having to be fed. There's no way to social distance if you're having to feed a child. And one of the things that they told us when we were discussing the possibility of the AB days was that we had to take all of, like basically lose everything that wasn't the teacher's desk and the kid's desk. They were talking about taking the bookshelves out, the computers out. Like we were not gonna have anything but desk in the room. And as a lower grades teacher, when you're talking stuff that you're teaching basic skills to your first graders that's learning to read and they need visuals up on the wall and they need things that they can see and touch. I couldn't do any of that because they had to have their individual supplies. And we're in a low income district. These parents may not have been able to afford that kind of stuff and afford for their child to have their own supplies and everything we need. Right. Um, yesterday I was I was driving through a neighborhood and there was a school that was open. And they had like it was I guess the school was ending, so they they had buses rolling out like it was a normal day. And so when I really thought and looked back at it, I was like, okay, so there's like 45 buses gonna come out this school parking lot. I know you're not social distancing on these buses. And then it made me think about all the little things that we didn't think about before this. Like when schools do open back up, I know there's not gonna be somebody that's gonna personally wipe down the keypad after the kids touch the little lunch number thing. When kids kids have to go to the bathroom. So those schools that are opening up, you're not gonna wipe down every um stall lock every time somebody comes in and out that bathroom. You're not gonna wipe down the door. I know the parents can't come in, but somebody's coming through these doors. You're not gonna wipe down every single door. You're not going to wipe down every single classroom door. Every keyboard, I know y'all talk about taking some computers out of classrooms, but at one point they do have to use a computer. It's the 21st century. We just have to have it. And you're not going to wipe it down every time they touch it. So it's kind of like, I feel like we should just go home. Because if we can't use the building how it was built for, what's the purpose of coming here? I will say this, our custodian, like, I our head custodian, I love him. And, like, he's been one of the people that has kind of been on my heart, like, what's going to happen to his job if we're not in the building? Because technically he doesn't have work if we're not there. But, like, they sat down with them and they told them, this is what you're going to have to do. They were talking about putting us on a bathroom schedule. So we would go to the bathroom, and after we, our, my class was done using the restroom, he would have to go in and clean it. He would have to go in and sanitize it. For me, even before the, the virus hit heavy, my kids, like I, my kids were really good last year about bringing in supplies. And so I, like I would reach out to my parents and they would send me, you know, wipes and stuff like that. But we would take wipes at the end of the day because they didn't take the computers home. We would wipe down the keyboards just because I don't want to say like I'm OCD, but when I thought about it, it was just disgusting. Like. Y'all dig in your mouths, you dig on this, you go outside and play, you come back in. We could get sick potentially from this. And I don't like to get sick. I don't get sick. So let's keep it that way. Like if I take a day off of work, it has to be really something big. And I think the only time other than having my child was when my mom was in ICU. So I don't take days off. So. I started thinking about that. So I made them wipe those things down. We would wipe our tables down because the custodian on my hall was not the head custodian and he didn't do his job. So, you know, we did go around and say, I can't speak for everybody else, but I'm just, I'm crazy like that when it comes to certain things. Good to know I'm not the only one because even my first graders, they knew end of the day, if I didn't get the cleaning stuff down, 
they would go, um, where's our wipes? We need to wipe our desk. Like they kept me on with it because I got them started with that early on because I know they were digging in their nose and I know they were digging and I've had several dig in their pants and it's just, kids are nasty in general. And having little ones at home, I was over cleaning all the time anyway in my room so that my kids were less likely to get stuff when I came home. I sanitized like a crazy person. I kept a thing of Lysol spray and I kept a thing of disinfectant spray. And even after the kids left, I went back and cleaned everything myself. But I know that there were teachers that didn't do that. I mean, we, and Renee can vouch on this one, we've had teachers that would go to the restroom and they wouldn't wash their hands. And it's just like, that's the kind of example we're setting for these kids. If we know that you're not washing your hands, if you're in the classroom, there's a sink in the classroom and you blow your nose or you, you know, something like that. Did you go wash your hands after you did that or no? Or are you just going to sit there and keep going? And it is teachers like you that make a difference. I remember my eighth grade teacher, she's my eighth grade science teacher. We had her class seven period at the end of the day and she would make us wipe all our desks down. We was not getting on the bus until we wiped our desk down. I don't know about you, but I was going home. So I wiped my desk down. I make sure they wipe their desk down because I had to. I live too far to be walking. And Georgia is hot. I live too far. I wasn't going to make it home. It was a 30-minute ride just on the bus, so I wasn't going to make it by no walk. But even speaking about the buses, they were talking about we were going to have to have, like, a lot of loads of kids because they were skipping every other seat. So you know how seats are across from each other. There would be one child on this side, but no child across, and there would only be one child in the seat. Unless they were siblings. Unless they were siblings in the same house. Then the, the seat behind them would be empty, and the one across from the empty seat would have a kid. So if you're saying 25 kids could fit on the bus, you weren't gonna fit 25 kids on the buses now. So dismissal was going to be ridiculous. But the argument can be made that even if they're siblings, they still shouldn't be in the same seat, being that their immune systems are not the same. True. Not everybody's the same. You can't put two people in the same seat just because they're siblings. Because one could have it and one not have it. Yeah, I mean, I guess they figure if you live in the same house, I got to deal with it. Because that was one thing that they did do for us. When they created the AB schedule, they made sure that everybody in the household was in school on the same day. From the high schooler, middle schooler, and elementary kids. They were all in school on Monday and Monday and Wednesday because that kind of created that, okay, well, if your parent has to work and y'all are at home on Tuesday and Thursday, then you have your older sibling there. So Clayton County, people can say what they want to about the past. We've had our share of, you know, superintendents and you know, whatever, but I can truly say that Dr. Beasley has really, like, he's he's made an impression on me. And like, I'm not saying that he's the best thing since sliced bread, but he might be pretty close when it comes to being a superintendent. And that's just how I feel about that one. Right, and pushing for the safety of the students and the teachers in the district. And I have to come in the school board too, because I was listening to some of their meetings when they were having these discussions about how we were going back and a majority of them, maybe one or two would always have questions and the questions they were asking were questions that people had brought up to them and they were listening to the people that had voted them in for their positions, questions and concerns and bringing them to the meetings so that they could be addressed and answered. So we really have got a superintendent and board of education that have watched out for our best interest and tried to make it as safe as possible. This is why it's so important for people to vote. I'm putting my shameless plug in right now. Plug it. Vote. Plug it. Vote. You have to vote because your vote for pr the presidency isn't just a vote for the president. It's a vote for every other member that he appoints. The secretary of education, Supreme Court judges, like all of that, it matters. So I don't care what you have to do, early vote. I, I've never camped out for anything in my life. Nothing, no tickets, no nothing. Unless I'm camping on a camping trip and I can tell you, I was like in middle school the last time I did that and I will be 38 come September 16th. I will camp out for this. I'm, I'm going to make sure my vote counts. So please listeners, go vote.
Right. That is so very important. And I'm glad to see that the younger generations are really jumping on board with that. I'm, I'm loving the fact that I'm seeing so many young kids get out there and push for that and push for their peers to get out there and make their voices heard. I mean, I guess just the biggest thing is where they are makes it a little bit more difficult because they're not in my proximity. And like, I constantly have to say, hey, Nicholas, I need you to mute your mic. Nicholas, I need you to be still. I need you to sit down. I need you to come here. I need you, are you working on your work? Like, not to say that I wouldn't have done that in the classroom, but I could have done it more, a little bit more discreetly by just walking over to that student and they would kind of understand, okay, Ms. Manuel wants me to stop doing this. I need to stop doing it. But I have to announce it to the whole class now. Like the whole class is going to, you know, look at that person's camera and pay attention to them more. For me, it's changed in that I'm having to be more reliant on the parents for some stuff. Um, we're teaching first graders how to read and write, and I can't be there to stand beside them as they're writing something and help them through that process. I can't be there to calm them when they get frustrated, and that's tough. So I've had to change the way I'm teaching some things um, in terms of making sure, hey, go get mom or dad or whoever's home because you're going to need some help with this. Whereas before, and so for me, it's making me have to ask for assistance with stuff. I've always been wanting to try to figure stuff out on my own. And even with like lesson plans and stuff, I've had to go to people and go, okay, what in the world am I doing? How the heck am I supposed to handle this? Because this is not normal to me. This is not the right thing. This is not how I'm used to doing it. And back to the teaching method, I'm kind of breaking down a little bit because, you know, as a kid, I took things for granted, like the the math manipulatives and all the little the cubes, and uh, it was it was one I hated this one. It was like some colorful sh shapes and like a little. It was in a black box, and you flip it, and it help you with the math problem. But I could never get it. I, I hated that one. I hated that one. It was like. It come out with different shapes and the teacher will be able to tell if you uh, did it right because like their answer key oh will God. have the shapes. What a versatiles. That... Versatiles. Versatiles. <laughs> yeah, versatiles. That's what we called. I hated those because mine was always wrong. And it's just like, you know, if you're taking that away, those are very vital steps now. And you know, you know, when you're in school, they're like, Oh, you're gonna need this later. And back then you're like, No, you won't. But now I'm just like if you kind of will. You do. I think a lot of those basic skills that we learn, I learn differently than some of these kids did. And like, I, I'm really upfront and honest with my students. I always have been. And I'll say, Miss Manuel, when she was in school, made her first F. And they're like, no, you didn't. Yes, I made an F in math. And this year is the first time any of my kids have ever said, they're like, and you're a teacher? I said, hold up, hold up. I said, I was in middle school. I said, but the thing about it was, was I never asked questions. I sat there, I listened. And you, I don't know if you guys have ever seen Charlie Brown. And they're like, yeah, I've seen Charlie Brown. I said, you know, when the teacher is talking and they hear womp, 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 womp. That's what I would hear when, when he would talk about math. Like all the time, like it didn't make sense to me. And I made, I barely skated through middle school passing. And then when I got to high school, I had the same math teacher for algebra one. And guess what? I failed again. And I'm not saying it was his fault because it was just as much my fault. But when I took it with a different teacher, she was able to break it down for me in a way that made sense to me. There were a lot of skills that I did not understand until I was an adult. I mean, I was in grad school, going to grad school, getting my teaching certificate, working in a gas station because nobody would hire me because I had a bachelor's degree and I'm from backwoods, Tennessee. So they were like, oh, this uppity thing right here. Think, no, we're not going to hire her. So I was working in a gas station and counting back something as simple as counting back change did not, the light bulb did not click for me until I worked in that gas station. So like, if I had had those manipulatives in my younger years, 
maybe that would have made a little bit more sense to me. So like now the thought of the kids running a store in the school is a real world application and it's giving them that training early on instead of sitting there looking at fake money or just talking about it. When you actually have to do it, I think you remember it more. Right, because it is extremely tough with our kids. We're still in the concrete phase of thinking when it comes to math. And that means that they need those hands-on things. They need to be able to put 10 objects in front of themselves and either add to them or take away from that. And we don't know what these kids have got at home. I told my parents, parents, you know, I need you to make sure they've got these manipulatives. So with them being in that concrete phase, they've got to have stuff that they can put their hands on. I've seen them counting on their fingers because they didn't have anything to count at home. I told them, I said, find 10 toys, find 10 buttons, find 10 hair bows, find anything you have that you can get 10 of and put them on the table in front of you. And let's work with those. And so I told my parents, I said, parents, you can go to Dollar Tree and get 90 buttons and that will be all we need for them to be able to count with but we need to make sure and you can even talk like even when you talk about money manipulatives you know kids used to keep money in a, in a piggy bank they don't do that anymore so and now we're in this quote unquote cash shortage which that's a whole nother conspiracy theory on its own but um even like when you give kids a dollar or any bill bill money, like they don't understand that even though it's a paper, that doesn't mean it's more or less than this other one. Like you have to look at the value of it. And so even using cash in that way, but if you have a parent like me, I don't like cash cause it's nasty. Like it's just disgusting. So I don't keep it around, but you know, that, that is one of the things I will say that I was kind of hurt about was the kids not having access to those manipulatives. Like we, like there should have been kids sent out with whatever they needed for their grade level. Right. Um, yeah, like growing up, we had the fake money manipulatives. And also in 11th grade, we had a thing called junior council. And to get some of the things that we needed for our grade level, we had a, a store inside of our little junior council office. And, you know, even though we was in 11th grade, we should know how to count money, but that's still, like you said, a real world application that we can use now. And if you're, you know, you're canceling schools and not having, cause not every kid, like you said, parents can afford to go and buy money manipulatives and do certain things for their kids. And that's okay. But it's just like, you know, it's just like the little things that we're going to miss because as we all, as y'all said earlier, the school system is going, it has changed forever, and we're never going to go back to that. But yes, that that um, hands-on because they've given us this virtual manipulatives bank, but these kids are so immune to the computer that muscle memory. They need that muscle memory. Putting your hands on something and counting it is different than sliding it over. They'll see it, but I think the hands-on. And like Morgan said, in lower grades, that's really what it's about. If they miss that, when they get to me, we still have issues with that. We don't understand the difference between a 10 and a thousand because we can't make that connection on how big it is, if that makes sense. So I want to propose our final question, but before I do, I just want to say that I love all the perspectives and the insight these ladies have shared with us so far on this show, and I've really felt like I've learned, and I love talking to people, and I love hearing um, other sides and other people's opinions, and I I want to thank you, you ladies again for joining us. So my final question is, there are thousands of ideas and comments coming from concerned parents, government officials, and families. With that being said, what would your perfect mock trial plan for the 2020-2021 academic school year be? I know it's a hard one, but just whatever, whatever comes to whatever first comes to your mind, throw it out there. If you ask any teacher, I can tell you one thing that every teacher would, you know, in an ideal world 
it would be a more intimate class. If I can have less bodies in the room, I can reach more. I can do more than trying to pack. And I know it's a money thing, but being able to list, like when 75 people are talking at the same time, you can't hear everybody. It's kind of the same thing. My ideal classroom would be 10, no more than 15 students and give me the autonomy to do what I need to do to reach my kids. Don't tell me I have to use this curriculum. Don't tell me I have to do this. Don't tell me what to say. Don't let me reach my kids how I need to reach my kids. We've become so bogged down with test scores and all this other stuff. We, we have really lost sight of the child. So just, you know, if coronavirus was gone tomorrow, 15 kids and give me a, a charter van and let's go see the world. Let's go be in the world and let's go, let's go experience it and see what we can do with that. That would be my ideal 2020, 2021 school year. See, I love that. I definitely agree with the smaller class sizes. Um, and I th the autonomy is a huge thing too. Um, and I know like it may be a little bit easier this year as far as not having to worry so much about the testing piece because they have given the waiver um, for that this year. So that might be a little bit of a reprieve, but I mean, as far as being able to just go and do, like make sure these kids are getting what they need and doing what I need to do. Like me, like Renee said, to do what the kids need, not to have to worry about who's watching over my shoulder. Is big brother going to pop in the back door and see if we're following their directions and just let us do the job that we learned to do and that we went to school to get this degree for and to meet these kids where they are and not try to push them. And as I've seen so many times in different things, not try to make a fish climb a tree to meet somebody else's standard of what the normal is for a child. And in closing, knowing what you know now, what is something you would tell your younger self? For me... Enjoy being a kid because you don't get it back. Because when you become an adult, it hits you in the face so hard. And there's no, I want to crawl up back in the bed and start over. Or I just want to go read all that. Like, you have to get out there and make a way for yourself. And then if you have children, you have to do that for them as well. Because it's no longer about you. What you want doesn't matter anymore. It's all about that child. And... You know, I'm having that that fight with my son. He, it's not it's not cool to be a kid. I wish I was an adult. Listen, I trade places with you in a heartbeat right now. You can have these bills, you can have this rent, you can have these car payments, you can have all of this. I'll go do your job. You can do mine. But you know, I have to say, and enjoy your childhood as much as possible. Don't rush to grow up because you're going to do it from the time you turn 18 until you are in your grave. So enjoy your childhood. And we do want to thank you for joining us here on Melting Pot. As my last standing regard, solely based on the information discussed today in this episode, it can considerably either be seen as an important conversation that aged well or one that didn't. With that being said, I hope that we're proven wrong. I hope that the government officials and educational system officials listen to the concerns and the suggestions of their American voices. Because let's just face it and get it through the heads of the stubborn. If you open up without a good plan in place, that isn't safe. And it will lead to more outbreaks and ultimately being shut down again, repeating this cycle. I'm your host, Sly. And I'm Cardi Dawn. And this has been The Melting Pot.